I perhaps drew the tricky end of the stick in this series. So I'm going to begin with prayer. Uh, God, we thank you for the love and the connection of family and also for the challenges and changes and the lessons of family that family offers us. I acknowledge now that this is a tricky topic. It feels kind of like tipping, tiptoeing through a minefield. And it can, it can be painful for some. And I ask for help, oh God, in speaking with great sensitivity and love. And I pray, as in the words of the Sorrow Prayer, God, be in my mouth and in my speaking. Amen. So when I think about that uh, 1 Corinthians 13 passage that Jose read, alongside the passage from Isaiah 65 that Jana read, I, I get some kind of feeling. I feel like these two passages are sort of a metaphorical gate through which we can pass to enter into the community of heaven. So we have the beautiful, idyllic description of the peaceable kingdom in Isaiah 65 right next to this very, very nitty-gritty explanation of what love looks like when it has its boots on the ground in relationships. And the Isaiah 65 is a lectionary passage, but I chose the uh, 1 Corinthians to include today. And I chose that because we are talking about this nitty-grittiest of relationships our families, and we are holding that up against the ideal of the community of heaven. So we're asking questions like, how do we love well, and how do we foster peace and reconciliation in our relationships, and how do we encourage inner healing and growth and healing of family wounds and growth in the face of them? So I invite you, if you're willing, you don't have to, raise your hand if you have a perfect relationship with your family. Cozy right there. <laughs> no, zero adults. Zero adults have raised their hand. Listener, let it be known. No adults are raising their hands right now. No one has a perfect relationship with their family. And this is it. Like, this is the thing. We're human and we're imperfect and so are our families. And our families can be very beautiful and very helpful to us. But just like anything else, they can also have a dark side and... They can be really annoying, and families know exactly how to push our buttons, and they have, unfortunately, the most capability to hurt us deeply, while at the same time, they have the most capability to see to our thriving before we're able to see to it ourselves. But they still have this capability of bringing out the very worst in us, for whatever reasons. It's just the truth. So while our families can create beautiful and safe spaces, they can, safe homes for us, these relationships are often fraught with challenge, and for better or worse, our life's trajectory begins in the context of our families of origin. So... I invite us as we go along together here to keep that love passage from 1 Corinthians 13 in our minds sort of as our pole star because in this series, which is entitled Becoming Ourselves, 
We are exploring the relationships that define us, for better or worse. And we can't do that properly without exploring our relationships to family. We have to explore how our families shape us if we want to grow spiritually and emotionally in this life. So family, I think at its best, is a great signpost toward that community of heaven. We are human beings. We are connected by bone and blood, and we are working together for the communal good in harmony and love, and that's the ideal, and that's the ideal that we long for and we aim for in our families that peaceable kingdom. It's the nonviolent, harmonious ideal in the Isaiah 65, and it's the ideal both for our blood families and for our chosen families. It's the reality of our connectedness together with one another and also with creation, one that is spiritual and metaphysical, if not biological. So I like to hearken back to those words that Jesus says when he's teaching in a house and some folks come up and they ask, they tell him, your mother and brothers are outside. And Jesus looks around and he says, who are my mother and my brothers? Here they are, right here. Here are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. Whoever does the will of God is my sister and brother and mother, he says. Because Jesus has a broader vision of family than just literal blood relatives, and he's inviting us into that and into co-creating that family with him, which is something that we're trying to do here at Peace. Like We're actively and intentionally working toward that ideal to reimagine family and to live inside of Christ's broad and inclusive vision. But that does not mean that we get to ignore the actual stuff. That doesn't mean we get to ignore the actual trauma or wounding that our human families play a part in. Instead, we interpret Christ's overall example and invitation into the community of heaven as an invitation to face that wounding and that trauma with courage and with love and with Christ's help and Christ's presence and to work together toward true healing. It makes me think of that book, you know, the book Going on a Bear Hunt, Gonna Catch a Big One. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We got to go through it. And I think that is such a great book that exemplifies so much of Christ's attitude towards suffering. We follow the example of Christ who goes through suffering and death to get to resurrection and new life. He knows that there's no other path. There's no getting around it. And we know from our experience with our families and our family relationships, they often, not always, but really often, present us with various kinds of suffering that we must go through to get to the healing. So if we didn't grow up in stable or loving families, we probably have major trauma from that, which reverberates forward to wherever we are in our lives now. We are primarily abandoned, if we're ever abandoned, it's probably by our families. And that's the way it is here on earth. It's the unfortunate reality of it. We are here on earth among fallible human beings and our families are the first soil in which we grow. They are the first human dynamics to which we're exposed and we will not get out of that original ground of being 
unscathed? Probably just won't. I was reading Jeremy Courtney's book last week. He's the preemptive love founder, and he wrote this book called Love Anyway that I was reading. And in it, he's, he's having this moment where he's really angry at God, and he's railing at God, just letting God have it. And he says, he says, we're scathed, God. We are all the way scathed. And I think that's how, that's how, that's families. We just get scathed. And if you did get, uns- get out unscathed, then you're just a unicorn. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. You could take a nap because I'm really not preaching to you. But I think it's unlikely that you are that unicorn. It's just the way of it. Um, so... Our families, they also humble us because we learn in the context of them that we aren't only the victim. We learn that if we're willing to see, we learn ways that we too have been perpetrators or perpetuators of pain too. And we learn that our actions affect other people. And when we aren't aligned with that love, that we can cause harm as well as receive harm. So many of our biggest life challenges arise from the soil of our families. And some of us grew up in abusive or neglectful families and homes. Some of us grew up in fundamentalist or repressive families. So we have trauma. Some of us grew up in families where the unspoken rule was never to speak openly about our pain. Or the unspoken rule was never to discuss the harmful dynamics, to to play a part. Some of us grew up in families where it was acceptable to criticize other people, but to never turn that lens of critique towards the internal dynamic of our own family. And some of us grew up in families where taking up space, either physically or emotionally, was discouraged. So we have wounds that are perhaps less apparent and perhaps they're buried, which is what we do as unevolved and unconscious humans. We cover it up. We decide not to see. We refrain from engaging with what's difficult, and we pretend that it didn't happen, and it doesn't affect us because we are afraid of the pain that we might feel if we face it. This is our collective tendency, and it's the tendency that Christ himself resisted at every turn. Christ always always goes straight to where the pain is, even though he makes people uncomfortable. He always digs down to what lies beneath. So I want to offer us this perspective, that our most intimate relationships, usually our families or our chosen families, are a mirror. We can't be intimate with another being, human or divine, without uncovering our flaws and, our ex- and exposing ourselves for what we truly are. Yeah. And our intimate relationships give us this opportunity to take that unflinching look in the mirror, which is why intimacy always Intimacy requires such courage. And it's when we realize that the energy it takes to maintain our facades would be better used in working toward internal healing and wholeness 
when that truth becomes glaringly clear to us, that's when we become willing to make life change. We become willing to take Christ up on his invitation to walk courageously in through difficulty and suffering and vulnerability so that we can experience the transformation that happens in the process. This is hard work. Yeah? Yeah. So most spiritual teachers and faith leaders agree that forgiveness is one of the central, like, um, big T themes all the world's real, uh, wisdom traditions and religious traditions, ours included, most Christians consider, or at least they will give assent to the idea that forgiveness is central to Christianity. Most Christians will pay lip service to that idea, even if they won't internalize or practice it. And by and large, we don't have a good track record of practicing it at all. We can look at the history of lynching in our culture. We can look at our out-of-control prison industrial complex. We can look right now at Rodney Reed, who's sitting on death row, although he did get a a temporary 120-day reprieve. Thank you to everyone who signed the petition. And we can know that people who claim to be Christians aren't very good at having consistent pro-life ethics, much less mercy or forgiveness. But the words of Christ himself teach us about our own power to forgive, which is our mandate. Okay, I know every time I preach, you hear me mention John 20. I'm going to do it every time I ever preach probably because for me it's just the seminal text. It's central to my faith, and I believe that John 20 is crucial for us to internalize. Where Jesus says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. They are retained. You may retain them inside your own body or inside your own psyche, See, part of our mission here, if we're trying to follow Christ, is to echo and relay and perpetuate the forgiveness of Christ. It's like once we dial ourselves in to Christ's frequency, we have access to his unending stream of forgiveness. Relationship with every human being we ever meet on this earth is probably going to involve forgiveness somehow. Forgiveness, the skill of it, forgiveness will be central to our thriving. It will be central to our spiritual growth and it will be central to our relational experience. And the first places that you, you and I, will face it are in relationships to our own selves and our families of origin. Which of those will come first to you? For you, I can't predict, but we will, if we're hoping to grow at all, have to learn forgiveness. Yeah? Anne Lamott, that great prophet, says that earth is forgiveness school. And I think she's right. I'll even take her statement a step further and say that family is forgiveness school and this is hard work we plug into christ's stream of realize that we have blockages 
we realize that our own internal riverbed where forgiveness should flow freely is choked with debris. And we begin to see where we have dammed it up due to ego, trauma, anger, what have you. And we see where we have work to do to dismantle those dams. And friends, sometimes dismantling is damming up your internal forgiveness river means feeling the feelings that you stuffed there. Sometimes it means pulling out the pieces of emotional debris one by one and releasing them into the flow. I'm not here to tell you platitudes about the work of forgiveness or the difficulties of family and life. I'm here to tell you that this is work that we must face with courage. It will challenge us to our core in many cases. It may terrify us to tear down the facades that we've erected to make ourselves less vulnerable. It may wring tears from our eyes and cries from our guts as we do the work of addressing our pain and trauma and releasing and forgiving those humans who played a part in it. It may take us to our knees to let go of all of the sins we have retained. And I'm here to tell you that this work matters. Whether or not our individual forgiveness streams run freely or not matters. It matters to our families and to our other relationships. It matters to our justice and compassion work. It matters to our ministry and our kingdom work. It matters to our literal physical health and well-being. It matters, and no one can control it but you. No one can do the work of clearing your internal forgiveness riverbed out but you. No one can do your spiritual and emotional work for you. If I have an internal log jam, I cannot be an effective conduit for spreading Christ's forgiveness around. Neither can you. I'm asking, please. Please do this work, even though it makes you uncomfortable and it probably makes your, un your family uncomfortable also. I'm asking you to take as long as you need to do it well and properly. Do all the venting and expressing that you need to do. Give yourself space to grieve your trauma and your losses. Get help from trusted friends, pastors, spiritual directors, therapists. Listen, we here at Peace of Christ Church, we don't take trauma lightly. We think, we think it's real and it matters. In fact, we're talking a lot lately, Matthew introduced this concept to us the other day, of trauma-informed theology, which means that we, 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 think, we think trauma matters so much that we use it in part as part of our lens of interpreting scripture and of extrapolating out our practice that we do in the world. We think trauma matters, and we're not taking it lightly, and we're saying, if you have trauma, please get help, and please do the work that it takes to help yourself get healing and work through it. We know, we, will, we know that it will take courage. You will probably need help, and that's part of the journey, too. That's part of the journey of us realizing our reliance and our connectedness and that our individual, individuality and our willpower will only get us so far.
Here's something else. Forgiveness involves allowing and accepting. Forgiveness involves allowing our families to be who they are without judging them. Forgiveness involves accepting our families as they are without requiring them to be different. Acceptance is a precursor to forgiveness. I understand that that's a nuanced teaching. So let me clarify. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that it's okay for other people to harm you or that you have to accept ill treatment by your families. No, I'm not saying that. Boundaries are important and they are necessary in every relationship in our lives and your dignity deserves protecting. What I am saying is that by this concept of acceptance, we become able to say, this happened to me. This was done to me. Okay, I accept. I don't need to pretend that it was anything else, and I don't need to hide it from myself anymore. I can courageously stop resisting the truth. That's a nuanced teaching. I I realize that. Zen Buddhism teaches that uh, when we accept, we stop resisting the way things are. And I believe that this has to happen before forgiveness can begin. I was listening to NPR the other day, the um, Zen Buddhist priest uh, named Angel Kyoto Williams say on, it was actually on On Being. She said this, Love is developing our own capacity for spaciousness within ourselves to allow others to be as they are. This is radical allowing. That's what she's talking about. This acceptance and allowing are tied up to our ability to forgive and love in this world. The great psychologist Carl Jung said, we cannot change anything until we accept it. Condemnation does not liberate, it oppresses. So here's what happens. When we accept whatever happened to us and we stop condemning it by our own resistance, we can become liberated. Our internal log jams can break up and we can become more internally spacious. I'm giving you a minute to let that sink in. We see the Christ doing this radical acceptance thing over and over in scripture and in his relationships. We heard this very thing in the teaching last week on Zacchaeus where Jesus offers Zacchaeus radical acceptance as he is, no strings attached. And that in turn triggers a flow of forgiveness and reconciliation inside Zacchaeus's heart that matters to everyone in his community. We see it in Christ's relationship with the Apostle Peter, who often really exasperates and annoys him. We see it again when some Pharisees complain to him about an alleged prostitute. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, who's going to cast the first stone? And he offers the alleged prostitute radical acceptance and triggers a flow of forgiveness that's still flowing today because of that story. We see it. In Christ's passion, he accepts his fate and he accepts the state of a society that would commit this atrocity on him and his words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
trigger a flow of forgiveness that we are benefiting from today, and we are still astounded by Christ's inner capacity for spaciousness and allowing and forgiveness. This is the path of Christ followers. We attend to what's there. We radically accept. We allow forgiveness to flow. Our job is not to judge or condemn, although we surely will confront those ego tendencies as we go along. And for sure, our families will be the ground upon, we must, upon which we must learn to practice this radical allowing and acceptance and forgiveness. It's hard. I'm not great at it yet. I've been doing a lot of this exploration personally here recently, particularly since the death of my grandmother uh, last year in September that seemed to catalyze for me a new level of work. And it seemed to uncover some layers of generational and family wounding that I hadn't been aware were underneath there. And what I know is that my work is to allow that uncovering to happen to not stuff it down again, to not resist it by ignoring it, but to be present to what's unfolding. My work is to become conscious of ways that I perpetuate that pain and harm. And I do this work because it's for my ultimate healing and for my family's ultimate healing. So, Hear that I'm right here with you in the trenches of learning to accept and forgive what is so that inside myself I can create internal spaciousness to love the world, to love myself, to love my family for what it all, we all are, so that I can heal inside myself and thereby help to heal the world. It's hard. I really liked what Jared said a couple of weeks ago in his sermon about um, paying attention to what causes us to expand internally and what causes us to to become constricted internally. We have to look to our own internal expansiveness. How can we come, we become more spacious in allowing and grow our capacity for love? Well, no relationships are more likely to challenge that in us than our family relationships. So are we going to let forgiveness take up space in us, or are we going to constrict ourselves and make ourselves smaller to avoid the pain and work that family relationships will inevitably present to us? This is our challenge. Families are our blessing, and they are our gift but they are also our training ground. In fact, anyone who we allow ourselves intimacy with will be part of this training. Any birth family, any chosen family. They will become a mirror to what's inside of us. So if you are a person for whom family is difficult or who has wounding or trauma in your family, I'd like to pray for us. And the band can come on up. God, give us courage to attend forgiveness school and not skip class. 
Give us courage to do the inner work of processing through our pain to get to healing and resurrection. Give us courage to dismantle the log jams that hinder the flow of Christ's forgiveness within us. Let love make us patient. Let love make us kind. Let love keep us humble and generous. Let love give us endurance, trust, and hope. Let love lead us to our truth. And may we here in this community give freedom to forgiveness because we are so plugged into the heart of Christ that forgiveness and love overflow abundantly everywhere. To everyone we meet, to our innermost selves, and to those most likely to hurt and annoy us, especially our families. Amen.